Good morning. Welcome again. Uh, if you have a Bible, please open it uh, to just about the middle, uh, Psalm 91. Keep your Bibles open if you have them. Psalm 91. This is, a, in some ways, a very simple psalm, but it's really beautiful, and I hope you are as encouraged by it as I've been this week. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague Come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your precious word. It's more valuable to us than all the gold, all the treasure in the world. It's sweeter than honey. Help us to see and know that that's true today. Show us your goodness, your kindness, your mercy towards us, even though we don't deserve it and you are protecting us and providing for us in all of our misery and suffering. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last couple of years, we've been hearing and thinking a lot about safety. But even before stores suddenly replaced a smiling goodbye with a plexiglassed stay safe, Our world was already fixated on staying safe. We have things like helicopter parenting, safe spaces on campuses and in workplaces, not to mention the death of the merry-go-round or the rise of child car seats that can't weigh less than 100 pounds. Our text today is a psalm where somebody is drawing on his own experience to show us why and how we should look to God for our safety. Uh, Last week's psalm, we're we're skipping around book four of the psalms. We started last week. So last week was the first one in book four. Last week's psalm was pretty somber. It meditated for quite a while on our mortality, on how short our lives are. And then it rooted it in God's judgment against our sin And then it ended with this earnest plea for God to show mercy, even though it just showed us that we don't deserve it. But this week's psalm, if last week was the downer, 
This week is the upper. This psalm is elaborating on where last week's psalm ended. It's elaborating on God's mercy, on the way that God is firmly committed to helping weak and needy people, even though they don't deserve it. One of the most important concepts in Christianity is faith, or you could call it trust. We talk a lot about it. You hear about it a lot if you're around or if you've ever read the Bible. Uh, Sometimes in the Christian world, though, we can throw around the idea or the word faith so much that it can become something of an abstraction, something that doesn't really mean anything to us. But here in this psalm, we're getting a, a beautiful figurative expression of what real faith in God looks like. We're looking poetically at how generously, how eagerly God responds when people put their trust in Him. And so this psalm today is meant to move us deeper into real faith in God. It's meant to help us trust that God not only can, but certainly will keep us safe from every evil and every misery. It's bursting with promises about what God will do for those who trust Him. You can get an initial summary of the whole thing there in the first couple verses, verses 1 to 2, with this promise of security and safety for those who draw near to God in faith. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. In verse 2, the author suddenly personalizes it for himself, and he wants us to do the same with him. He says, I will say to the Lord, My refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. This can never be something that's just for your parents to do or your church to do or your culture to do on your behalf at some point. This must be something individual and personal for ourselves. Notice the beginning of verse 1. We are called to dwell. That means to live or to settle down in the shelter of the Most High. It's a name for God that emphasizes His transcendence. That means that He's ruling over everything with perfect wisdom and power. It means there's nothing higher or greater or better than God. Not politicians, not scientists, not your family or your retirement or your career or even the best of romances. We often look to these things for our shelter and for our safety and our security. But in the end, all of them disappoint us. All of them frustrate us, even when they're at their best. But the amazing thing here in this psalm is not only this kind of command that you should make God as this majestic creator and ruler of all things, not only that you should and you must make him your shelter of safety, but what's amazing is this psalm is really trying to convince us that you can make him your shelter. Not just that it's the right thing to do, but that it's possible. God's inviting us to come to Him, to be with Him. To draw close to Him for our shelter means that we're living under the shadow of the Almighty. And again, you have here a name for God, the Almighty, emphasizing His power and His strength, but now paired up with this image of shade, And so in the midst of another scorching Texas summer, it's going to be 110 billion degrees today. 
We all know how valuable and refreshing it can be to rest in the shade. And so God is almighty. He's the most high. But the whole point is that we can and we should draw near to Him. The point is that when you are close to God, you're truly safe. The author says, I've learned not only to think of God like this intellectually, but I've even learned to talk to God like this. He says, I've learned to speak to God in prayer, in familiar, you might even say intimate terms. He says, I will say to the Lord, I'll talk to God like this. This is how I've learned to relate to him. Verses 3 to 8 tell us why it's so good to trust in God, why it's so good to relate to God in this prayerful, familiar way. Because he'll keep you safe. That's why you should do it. That's why it's so good. God will rescue you, these verses tell us in lots of different ways, God will rescue you from all kinds of dangers. You hear that he's going to rescue you from the snare of the fowler. That's talking about a trap that you lay for a bird. It also says he's going to rescue you from the deadly pestilence. Uh, Interestingly, this is the first of like four or five times in this psalm that we hear about diseases or epidemics. The idea that God, the idea is that God rescues you both from dangers that are sudden and focused, like a trap for a bird, but also that God rescues you from dangers like epidemics that are creeping and widespread. You hear in verse 4 that God keeps you safe with tenderness and compassion and faithfulness. He's not reluctant. He's not stingy. He's not withholding with his children. The author says instead, he's like a mother hen covering her chicks with her wings. Uh, One of you gave us fertilized eggs a year and a half ago because we had a chicken who was really broody. That means she just wants to sit on eggs all day long and doesn't want to do anything else until she has babies. And so one of you gave us these fertilized eggs, and the next day she hatched these little chicks, and she thought they were her chicks, and so she just took care of them and protected them. It was the greatest thing in the world, watching her take care of these little chicks and them always running around underneath her. The psalm is saying God's like that with his people. So he's going to cover you with his pinions. That means the, the big feathers at the ends of the wings. I cut them off of my chickens so they don't fly away. But the psalm says God takes those and he surrounds you with them. He protects you with them. It's saying too that God's own integrity, God's own trustworthiness is like a strong shield. So you have this image of, of compassion and, and motherly caring, the, the hen protecting the chicks. But then it's immediately followed by this image of strength. And victory. You have God's faithfulness as a shield. It means that God's blocking us from the blows that would otherwise destroy us. And so again, with these images smushed together, you have a pairing of God's might alongside of God's compassion. Verse 3 says he rescues us from all kinds of dangers, the sudden ones like the trap and the creeping ones like the epidemic. But now you also hear in verse 5, that he rescues you in all kinds of times and in all kinds of seasons. When God's our safety, the psalm says, you don't have to be afraid of the terror of the night, times when you know that you're not as safe, but it also says you don't have to be afraid of the destruction that wastes at noonday when the sun is out shining. 
This is another reference to epidemics or diseases. This is talking about times when you're surprised by suffering, times when you think you shouldn't have to suffer, times when you think you're totally safe. It means that in all times and seasons, God rescues his people. Whether you're in the second grade or in the nursing home, whether you are newlyweds, totally in love, or you are oldlyweds and in divorce court, whether you've been foolish and you're getting what you deserve, or you've done everything right, it says all the time, God is protecting those who trust in him from all kinds of dangers. Verse 7 says that God is even protecting you when all the odds are against you, when you cannot possibly imagine a way out, when you are totally vulnerable. It says a thousand might fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come near you. In the end, the author says, you will instead see God's perfect justice being handed out in this world. All you have to do is watch. When you trust God, you're safe all the time. You might not know it, you might not feel it, but it's true. And one day, you will look back and you will see that it was true. Everything will come together. You will see, God did everything right. God was always taking care of me. When we suffer and when we're in danger, sometimes we can start to doubt that God cares. We wonder if God can do anything about it, or even if He exists at all. We wonder if maybe we haven't done enough for God. Maybe He's some kind of tyrant up there, punishing me, trying to teach me some kind of lesson, angrily forcing me to eat my vegetables because it's good for me. But this psalm says, no, that's wrong. This psalm says, God really does care. God really is protecting you. It says, just trust in Him. Draw close to Him. Whatever dangers and sufferings you might be facing, might be a declining spouse or parent, might be a dreadful diagnosis, painful loneliness, the frustrations and the heartbreaks of raising your children in layoffs and downturns, epidemics and wars, in all these things and from all of these things, the Most High God protects and rescues His people. But to make sure we don't miss it, verses 9 and 10 reiterate the promises. They basically repeat them in a new way about how God keeps His people safe. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, which means your home, this is the word we talked about last week, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Again, you can see that this mighty God ruling over all things, that He can and He should be your safe space. That we can and we should draw near to Him in faith and prayer and love. Not just in an abstract way, but in a personal way in the midst of my own sufferings. And again, you have these sweeping promises about how God will rescue you, not just from all kinds of evil. You know, that might leave some exceptions. Uh, here it's even stronger. It says God will rescue you from all evil, period. No evil, no plague. 
When God is your fortress, nothing can harm you. Verses 11 and 12 give us another reason that we should believe this and take this seriously. They say, because you know what God's going to do? You know what he likes to do for his people? He commands his angels to guard you in all your ways, even to keep you from stubbing your toe, so to speak. In the modern world, we neglect and forget that alongside the material world that all of us obsess about and lose sleep over, alongside of this material world, there's also a whole other realm of invisible beings whom God created. These angels are spectacularly powerful. Uh, when they appear in the Bible, almost always people's response is terror. Almost always the first thing they have to say is, whoa, don't be afraid, calm down. They're very powerful. Some of them, demons, have rebelled against God. Some of them are currently being bound and limited by Him. But even so, there remain vast, innumerable multitudes of angels who are happy and eager to do whatever God wants. They don't obey God like some of you kids obey your parents. They don't roll their eyes. They don't drag their feet. They don't grumble under their breath when God says, hey, go help that guy. Go protect that lady over there. They say, wow, that's great. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I'll do it right away. And so what an encouragement to get this peek behind the veil to hear that God is commanding these good spiritual beings to watch over us and to protect us. You're never on your own, not only because God himself is protecting you, that's the best part of it, but also, kind of as a bonus, I guess, because you also get protection from these mighty invisible warriors to defend you and help you, even though you know, the vast majority of the time, I guess kind of like superheroes, you don't even know they're there. You don't even know what they're doing. You don't even know what they're protecting you from. They're just doing it for you and they're not interested in taking credit for it. But you also see this other reason to trust in God for our safety in verse 13. Uh, The psalm says, because God will ensure your ultimate triumph over evil forces, whether they are physical or spiritual. It says, you will tread on the lion and the adder. That's a bad snake. You'll tread on the lion and the serpent. You're going to trample them underfoot. Uh, This last word for serpent Uh, It can be used to talk about snakes, but it's often used in the Bible to describe these dark beasts of chaos, the sea monster or the dragon. Uh, These words are often used, kind of they're overlaid on top of demonic forces. And so the psalm is saying, you know, you don't have to just be afraid of the scary things that are physically in this world. Uh, You don't even need to be afraid of the scary spiritual things because the Almighty God is keeping you close. He's guarding you. And so over and over and over again, these reminders that God is mighty, but also near, these reminders that he's high above us, but he's also down low with us, these reminders that he's for us, he's with us. And so we have to continually draw near to him. We have to personally and prayerfully make him our home and our fortress. Nothing else in this world can keep us safe or secure in the long run. God's protecting us from all kinds of dangers and all kinds of seasons against all kinds of odds in the realms you can see and in the realms you can't see. But this does not mean that you'll never suffer. It might sound like that at first. When you first read this, the psalm sounds like it's saying God promises his people total ease 
and total comfort. But that's not what it says. It openly acknowledges, it it begins with the assumption that we will be in great danger, we will be in great suffering. Uh, You will be caught in the trap. You will be faced with plagues and pandemics. You will always find serpents in your garden. You will be attacked and flooded and besieged. You need a refuge. And so this is not the prosperity gospel, this distortion of the Bible that teaches that if you just trust in God hard enough, then he'll make your life successful and affluent, that your marriage will be happy and your kids will grow up to be stable and pious. That's not true. That's not biblical. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, the devil came to him and tempted him to turn on God to stop making God his own refuge. And one of the ways he did this was by quoting a couple of bits from this psalm. The devil tried to provoke Jesus into showing how much he really trusted God by leaping off of a big building while claiming the safety that this psalm talks about. But Jesus said no. Jesus continued to make God his refuge, not just in spite of his suffering, but precisely in And through his suffering, Jesus knew that he could believe the promises that we hear in this psalm, in verses 14 to 16. These closing assurances from God himself. All of a sudden, at the end of the psalm, God bursts in and he starts talking. Jesus knew that he could believe these promises, that God really is with us to protect us and help us. Now listen to them. Listen to all these promises just piled up on top of each other. All these things that God says he's going to do. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. You hear all those promises? You can hardly keep track of all of them. You have all these promises of God's steadfast commitment to secure and protect and provide for his people. He does not say, well, maybe... He does not say, well, uh, when I feel like it, uh, when the commercials come on. He does not say, well, maybe if you do all your chores, then I'll do it. God says, this is what I'm going to do. But besides all these wonderful promises of God's protection, I want you to notice a couple of things there in those last three verses. First, notice how little we do. Notice how little, in this whole psalm, notice how little we do. You've seen it all over the place, but you see it especially here at the end. All the way through, it's the language of dependence. It's the language of simple trust, this posture of relationship like little kids who don't ever have to wonder whether or not their mom and dad are going to feed them. They just know. You don't even have to to think about it. There's nothing here about getting your life together There's nothing here about being a really religious person, about showing that you can pay God back or be particularly useful for Him. But instead, you have all this language about dependence and relationship, this language of trust. God says, He holds fast to me in love. It's a verb that's often used to describe a romantic relationship in the Bible. It's the language of strong desire, the language of 
clinging to somebody and never letting go. It also says that this person who trusts in me, he knows my name. We just know who God is. We're acquainted with him. We have come to see that he takes care of us, that his promises are trustworthy. It also says that he calls to me. We cry out in needy dependence. We ask for help. Not just looking for a bit of a boost or a bit of advice from God after we've done everything that we could do. But instead, faith is a plea for rescue. We see what a mess our lives have become. We see how inescapable it all is. We see how little we can do about it. And so we say to God, help me. That's what it means to call to God. It's what it means to make Him your refuge. It's what it means to look to Him for safety. It's this trusting, dependent posture to which God responds with such mighty and ready eagerness to protect you from everything. You don't have to meet a certain standard before God will rush in to rescue you from all of your misery. This is what makes the gospel of Jesus so offensive. This is why most people reject it. It's too good to be true. We can't hardly believe that there's nothing in us or about us that would make God want to love us or help us. All you have to do is say, help. And that's it. That's the first thing I want you to see. How little we do. Just dependence. Just a cry for help. But the second thing I want you to see about these last couple verses is that it's in trouble that the Lord comes to be with us. It's in trouble that the Lord comes to be with us. Look at verse 15. Uh, God emphatically says this. He He doesn't just say, I will be with him in trouble. It says, I will be with him in trouble. There's an emphasis on the fact that God is there. That it's God himself. We already said that the psalm assumes that we're going to face all kinds of trials and pains and disappointments. The point throughout is that God is our refuge in the midst of our suffering, not that he takes you out of it or spares you from it. One of Jesus' names in the New Testament is Emmanuel. It's drawn from the Old Testament, and what it means is this. It means God is with us. God's with us in the darkness. God's with us down in the mud. God's with us up on the trash heap. In Jesus, God has become human with us and for us. He's taken upon himself our suffering and our pain. He knows what it is to be frail and needy. And so for those who trust in Jesus as God's king and as God's savior, all of our suffering, every danger, every heartbreak, every enemy, all of our danger is now mediated and channeled and harnessed by your Father through His Son for your good. It means that there is no pain, there is no loss that comes to you that has not first come through the loving wisdom of your Father. He is your shield and your fortress. Nothing comes to you that doesn't go through Him first. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible says that you are united to Jesus. And part of what that means is that the Father now treats you just as well as He treats Jesus. 
He would never wrong Jesus. Jesus is his beloved son. And so when you're united to him, that means he's never going to wrong you. He's never going to let you down. The Apostle Paul, we're almost done. The Apostle Paul often talks about great suffering in his life. Uh, And there's one place where he talks about it in 2 Corinthians. And he says, we don't even know what it is. He doesn't explain what it was. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. And he says, I begged Jesus to take this suffering away from me. But then he says, Jesus said this to me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul then says, So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God had better plans for the Apostle Paul than sparing him from suffering, and he has better plans for you. You really are safe. Nothing comes to you apart from the perfect wisdom and care of the Father. You are completely invincible until the exact second that He decides to bring you home to Himself. And in the meantime, He is guiding every danger and every pain for your own good so that you might grow in holiness and joy and peace. Nothing can harm you. When you are united to Jesus by trusting God's promises, you are dwelling in the shadow of the Most High. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your perfect, powerful, compassionate care for us in the midst of this sad world. Thank you that you give us protection and safety that we don't deserve. We weren't looking for it. We didn't ask for it. We didn't earn it. You just decided to help. You showed us your grace and your mercy in Jesus. And all we could do was ask for help. All we could do was say that we needed it. Help us to never think that we can get beyond this basic dependence, this basic neediness. Help all of us to be like children who can't provide for themselves but look only to their parents to give them everything they need. You have everything, we have nothing. We know that you're watching over us, that you're keeping us safe even as we suffer, even as we cry out. Show us, demonstrate to us, Lord, that you are faithful and it's a shield around us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.